This is Welcome Home Radio from the Fresno Association of Realtors on 940 KYNO. Good morning. Welcome to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host on our Valley's most informative real estate talk show. This hour is being brought to you for the 14th year by the Fresno Association of Realtors. And for 14 years, we've had the same goal, and that is to provide our local listeners with the real facts and real stats about our local market. And the beauty of this show and why we've lasted for 14 years, because if it was just me, I'd run out of things in to say in, what, 14 minutes? Um, but uh, we have over 4,000 members of our association. We have another 1,000 affiliates. Affiliates um, are lenders, uh, pest control operators, home inspectors. Uh, people that are affiliated with the business so we can get them in here too with great information and that is the case today so to kick off our 14th year we have Lizette Hurtado of Premier Home Loans a loan officer good morning good morning all right and thank you for coming back you've been on the show before I have thank you for having me back yeah yeah and (laughs) we also have Kaylee Wood also of uh, Premier Home Loan, but your first time here. I am. I can't believe that. I, I, I would have thought you would have been. Um, I'm hard uh, to catch. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. Busy as a loan officer, right? Yes. <laughs> so what? What's uh, first of all? How long have you been in the, in the lending business, Kaylee? Um, I've been with our team for just over ten years now. Ten years. Okay. Yes. How about you? In lending, I've been about 10 years as well. In mm. real estate in general, about 20, over 20. Oh, that's right, because you were an escrow officer before. I was for about 10 years as well. And then I did some TC work for a couple years. So what's, I've been What's TC around. for us people that, I'm sorry. Uh, that don't spell too well? <laughs> Transaction coordinator. I was working with a realtor and helping out with the contracts and the listings and stuff like that. Okay, all right. <laughs> I, I actually am good at spelling. But uh, anyway. I forget. I just use my own little abbreviations sometimes. So, <laughs> isn't that funny? How in our business we can talk all like we're texting. And you know, L M A. Yeah, That's right. L O L, and it just—it's all um, all about the the acronyms. A lot of what we do, we catch ourselves because you have LTVs, DTIs, all these different things that doesn't always translate over so <laughs> that's a good point so i'm gonna hold you to the fire now. Right. what is an ltv an ltv is the loan to value so if you put five percent down you take that out of your hundred percent of your loan amount you have a 95 percent ltv okay so five percent down so and in lending probably you guys like more down if possible um sometimes everybody's situation's different so we have programs that are no money down then you have three percent down three and a half with fha and so on and so forth every type of loan requires a different minimum down payment so the more down payment often either the lower rate or the better terms you might have okay then you spelled something else out dti what in the world is that debt to income so how that's calculated is 110 percent i wish (laughs) that would be awesome 110 percent debt to 
100% income. It's common here that we see that, but that's not what we want to see. Again, every loan has different requirements. On an average, I would say we like to see about a 43 to 45% total debt to income. What goes into that is total gross earnings before all your deductions minus monthly expenses that are reported to the credit. Uh, student loans, car payments, uh, credit card bills, and then also the new proposed house payment. All those items together will equal the total DTI, debt to income. Okay, so if somebody had a 70% DTI, probably not gonna qualify for probably that. Probably not gonna work. Most of our, <laughs> okay. we do have exceptions to every rule, uh, but most of the very ceiling for our debt to income on the most lenient loan is gonna be 55 to 56%. Yeah, you don't know this, but way back when, in the early 80s, I was a loan officer. And I, boy, did I ever get taken to school on this one. <laughs> I'm figuring out the guy's DTI, and he's coming up around 70%. And I'm saying, I'm sorry, but this is too much of a house for you guys. And he says, really? Because I'm putting 50% down. It's like, oh. I failed to ask enough questions. That's always a good way to start, for sure. Yeah, with, <laughs> yes. with that much his loan balance, with that much down, his loan balance was much less. And then, and, and I learned something about that. I learned about people. And that is, the guy never, if his payments would have been around 70%, he never would have done that. You know, so he knew he could because he knew he had all that down payment. Right. Not everybody does, though. Not everybody can see it that way, and every some people think, well, w why not? I still have more, you know, money. But they don't consider it's only a percentage we can use because we have to consider other debt that's not on the credit report. And another thing that we have to consider is only fully documented income. We get that a lot. Somebody <laughs> yes. makes cash or has a side business but doesn't report it, so they know affordability is there because they can do it. Maybe they're paying rent already. Unfortunately, without any income that's being reported to the IRS, we can't utilize it. Therefore, we have to go based on what we could use. So your DTI is based off gross income, not net income. So it's Correct. before taxes. Right. And it's documented income. Correct. Do documentable income. Yes, or taxable income is the way we like to look at it. Not meaning if you're self-employed, you can't do it, but it's what you actually file and claim that we could use. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so um, how is the lending business right now? It, it's a lot of people are doing refis. Oh, here's here's a good one. I'm hearing on TV ads, the radio ads, newspaper ads, cash out, use the equity in your home because uh, you can pay off a high credit card bill with this new 30-year fixed rate mortgage. What uh, are you guys doing a lot of refis and then a lot of cash out refis um i haven't seen a lot lately i think um, a lot of people are being a little bit more conservative when it comes to the cash out refis right now what i've been seeing i don't know about you but i've been seeing more of just to lower the um, interest rate because people want to take advantage of the low rates right now um, i have had a few cash outs but i for me with the clients that i've done or i've worked with recently it's more because of home improvements so they want to just add things and their home more 
they want to make it more comfortable they want to make it more to their liking mm -hmm. so things like that but there are different there are others that want to cash out to pay debt that doesn't always work it just depends <laughs> so you have to look at uh, short-term versus long-term goals so if you're paying off a debt that you would on your own pay off in say 24 months Yes, you're gonna save money monthly if you look at the accumulated bill, but now you're stretching it out over 15, 20, or 30 year term. So it doesn't always necessarily save you dollar for dollar. I would say personally, a lot of my refis are taking advantage of our new uh, market values. So they're mm -hmm. getting rid of mortgage insurance or they're paying off down payment assistance that they needed to obtain the home. So now we're accumulating this first, second, and third, and they'll streamline it to just one primary loan one 30 or 20 year term and still having a comfortable if not lower payment and eliminating that future debt so a good way to look at this if if you're using a, a home mortgage which is long term to pay off short-term debt which is a credit card 25 years from now 30 years from now you may be making the final payment on the dinner you had two nights ago on exactly. your credit card correct yeah <laughs> And sometimes they're big numbers, so it really does make sense. Um, people use credit cards for different reasons, so I would say take into consideration the total uh, liquidity of it. So if it's a $30,000 loan you're paying 20% interest on, maybe it makes sense to put that in your mortgage to get it at a 3%. Um, but not everybody's case is the same. Back in 2009, the Fresno Association of Realtors did a, uh, a survey of where did the foreclosures come from? Because remember 2007, eight, nine, there was a bunch of foreclosures. What? Here's what we found out, and boy is this an eye-opener. 54% of the foreclosures came from refinances, not from purchases. 54%? Yeah, over half the foreclosures were from refis. Now, to further that, 3% of those, uh, of the 54, 51% were cash out refis. 3% were rate and term refis, meaning you owed 200,000, you just wanted to lower your rate from 5% down to three. Right, correct. Um, but cash out means you owed 200,000 and you made bank by borrowing 300,000 and absorbing the equity from your home. So um, that, that's very interesting. Oh, and to further that, see, because the realtors were kind of, fingers were being pointed at the realtors back in 2009. Oh, you guys sold them too big of a house. Only 18% of the foreclosures had professional representation. The wow. remainder were for sale by owners, um, private party deals. So, that shows you the importance of professional representation Correct. and the importance of not using your home as an ATM machine. So I have a little story on that. I had a client that came in one time and they, it was a husband and wife and daughter. Wife and daughter wanted a bigger house. Husband was saying, this is what our budget is. And their logic, a daughter and wife was, that's okay because in a year we'll refinance and we'll just lower the payment. But if you're not sitting in front of the right person, they're gonna say, oh yeah, of course, but it's not that easy. So you have to also consider those things and you have to educate your buyers for that, I think. 
you know, as a professional, we should be able to lay out a plan and say, okay, but what's going to change that you can change the things in a year? You've been at your job for 10, 15 years, same type of job. You're going to really get that much of a raise in one year to change the payment and all. It just doesn't make sense. So you have to kind of be able to explain that to them and let them see that because they don't consider it that way. Mm -hmm. Everything is just in the now and they don't look at the big picture. So I, I think like that how you said that about when you're sitting in front of the right person that can uh, coach you on that. I've got a story from the real estate side of it. I had a client way back in 2007 and he said, yeah, yeah, I'm already pre pre-approved by um, a lender. And I said, okay, great. And I said, wow, can you really afford this payment? Because he was telling me how much he made and all, and he was buying a pretty big house. He goes, oh yeah. He goes, this lender I'm pre-approved with, I have the same 1% interest rate for five years. The first five years it's fixed and then it adjusts. He goes, but I'll probably move on and sell within the five years. Because he had local professional representation, I said, let me see the, that. And here's what I found out. Yes, the interest rate was fixed for five years at 1%, but, uh, or excuse me, I'm saying it wrong. His payment was fixed for five years at the 1%, but the interest rate could fluctuate monthly which means he had a lot of negative amortization. Acured so interest. maybe his payment was only $1,000 a month for the first five years, but the interest, let's say it was $1,500. Well, that $500 that he did not pay went on top of the loan. Right. So instead of, in five years, instead of owing 300000 he probably would owe 350000 But that's because he had professional representation that was face-to-face -face right. and it wasn't uh, an online a computer telling you you're fine <laughs> yeah yeah I, I had a guy come to me one time and telling me that i should do all these uh, cash out refis on my rentals and it was all based on algorithms well at the time i couldn't even spell algorithms <laughs> <laughs> so i had to question him and it just didn't it didn't pass the gut right gut feel test so how's that for algorithms versus gut feel i'm curious like you mentioned out of those 54 percent of the refinances that foreclosed in the time that's right about when i entered uh, the mortgage industry is how many of those were adjustable rates or balloon payments or types of loans we don't necessarily lean on anymore bingo <laughs> <laughs> Bingo, yes. Um, Probably all of them. Because I think we all know yeah. people that had a bad loan at one point in life, and I think that's why I, I always make sure when explaining things right. that people really understand the big picture because it's a foreign language to a lot. Right, and here's the difference between an adjustable rate and a fixed rate. It's hard, first of all, there's probably 100 different types of adjustable rate loans. And so figuring out what your payment is you need an algorithm right <laughs> whereas with a fixed rate it's like okay well what part of fifteen hundred five dollars a month wouldn't you understand and that's it for the next next 30 years 30 years yeah. yeah but with that we're also going to our first commercial break but stay tuned to welcome home radio 940 kyno
Welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. I'm Haley Hurtado here with my favorite real estate talk show. Well, thank you very much, Haley. Um, but you're a veteran to this show too. Yeah. Is this your second or third time on the show? Um, I think it's my third. Yeah. I think so. Pretty sure of that. How old are you now? I'm 13, about to turn 14 in February. Oh, do you know that this <laughs> this show started one month before you were born? So you're still the youngest thing in in this room, <laughs> even the show. So uh, all right. So what grade are you in? I'm in eighth grade right now. Now, do you feel like you understand the real estate business, being that you, you know, your mom's in it? Yeah. Well, I. If I'm gonna be quite honest, I'm not. There's not really a big interest in it for me, <laughs> but I do understand wow. like quite a bit of it since I've like been around the environment. But I don't know like everything, like you know, from the back of my hand. Well, be careful because when my son was 18 years old, I said, "Hey, Stephen, why don't you get a real estate license? You can come work with me. You know, I'll show you the ropes." He looked at me. He goes, "No, I don't want to work that many hours." So you know what he ends up doing? He ends up working on a cruise ship where he worked 12 to 14 hours a day, <laughs> seven days a week for five months before he could get a day off. Wow. So be careful. Yeah. <laughs> My mom has had the talk with me of, you know, trying to get into the business and getting like my like how I could make my own hours and you know be successful like that so. mm -hmm. yeah no seriously you can make your own hours you can pick like the five or six hours that you don't want to work yeah <laughs> right <laughs> that's that what you want to sleep <laughs> yeah okay well l let's turn it back to your mom and your aunt Kaylee she is she your aunt no <laughs> she's well She's she's honorary yet. Honorary, I was gonna say adopted. Yes. Right. Are your friends listening to you on the radio today, or did you tell them? Or you can tell them it's podcast, so they can you can always go back and, and show off. I'll be sure to tell them. <laughs> Please do. See, this is how we advertise, <laughs> right? Start them young. I want to start off with some very interesting real estate stats, and then give me your your take on it. Uh, from the lending side. Okay. So for f the cities of Fresno and Clovis, which is the biggest metropolitan area in the Central Valley, and by the way, next week uh, or two weeks from now, we're going to have the official stats for the whole year of 2021, and we'll do a larger area than Fresno and Clovis. Um, and the reason for that is not all the sales are in yet or, or being reported for December because some of them were out of town escrow companies and they mailed off the documents. And so <laughs> that's why. But this is gonna give you some interesting <clears throat> perspective. So for the year 2019, the um, uh, median sales price in the city of Fresno and Clovis was 280,000. It went up 9% in 2020 to 313,000. And then this year for 2021, it went to 365,000. So from two, in two years, we've gone up 23%. Um, some people are saying, oh, well, well this is gonna be 2008 all over again, <laughs> you know, or it's a bubble, it's a crash, or I'm gonna wait for all the foreclosures to come out. What do you see from the lending side? 
Honestly, I get that a lot. I have a lot of clients that think, no, I'm going to wait because I know that the houses are going to go down. Things, Everything's going to crash. It's a whole different, it's a complete different scenario. In 2008, honestly, it was bad loans that caused all of the foreclosures. It wasn't bad homes. It was it bad was loans. It was bad loans. Yeah. Now, there's a shortage. There's no way the houses are going to decrease because there's no houses available. So the ones Supply that are. Demand. Exactly. Yeah. So it's just a completely different scenario. I know a lot of people think that it's going to happen that way. I don't see it happening at all. That's okay. my opinion. Um, and another big difference that I see is back in 2008, many of those loans were adjustable rate loans right. that were ballooning. And it's like, oh my gosh, the value of my home went down and I owe the bank $300,000 next month. Bad better loans. better walk. <laughs> yeah. But now they're fixed rate loans. There's fixed rate loans. And then also there's a lot of different, um, there's a lot of different guidelines that were put in place for the protection of buyers so that that doesn't happen all over again. So now there's a lot of different guidelines we have to go, you know, get through before we can even get an approval on a loan versus back in 2008, it was just whatever you stated. There was no proof of anything. Mm. So I think that that was, that is the biggest difference of what is happening right now. And that's why I don't think that prices might stabilize, but I don't think that they're gonna drop or it's gonna crash the way everybody thinks. Mm -hmm. I look what at the big think? picture of life, look at minimum wage, look at the cost of living. I don't know how we expect all this to keep increasing and rising and houses to go the other way. It doesn't make sense to me. Right. That's a really good point. Um, I bought at the top of the market when I bought my first home for $44,000. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And that's you awesome. Know, and it was a four bedroom home over by Cedar and Herndon. So, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's how old what I am. What was your rate? <laughs> Oh, that's true though. What was the okay. rate? Oh, you just <laughs> nailed it. It was 12 and a half. Wow. And so 44,000, that house today is probably worth 344,000. But yet the payment back then was almost $700 a month. Uh, and today I think the payment would be around 1,500. So the payment at the new price because interest rates have dropped so low. Right, correct. So the cost of housing, if you look at the whole picture, or you like you say, Kaylee, you look at life. <laughs> That's uh, true. <laughs> yeah, it is, is, is sustainable. Um, and I think back then minimum wage was probably a buck sixty-five an hour, and now it's fifteen dollars an hour. Isn't it going up again? It just did January first. Yeah. Oh, to, to 15. the fifteen. Okay. Yeah. Right. Although, you know, um, it's funny. On the way, way here this morning, uh, I saw a Caltrans sign around a detour where it normally says, watch out for workers. Now that Caltrans sign said, looking for workers. <laughs> <laughs> and that's happening a lot too. Yeah. So, gosh, maybe they need to raise that $15 to 25 an hour so that uh, people will want to go back to work. I don't know that that but, would happen, but. <laughs> but. I got another good way to get people back to work. Make home ownership uh, very available. Build more homes. Yes. So that people wa want to chase that American dream. Um, and that they'll come. Um, hey, like my family came from Italy 
to because they wanted that American dream of home ownership. So. And it's more motivation. You want to do more. You want to, you know, sustain your home. You want to keep it. You don't want to lose it. So you're going to want to put more effort into it. I think that it it does make a difference if we have more affordable housing. But the way everything is going right now, like you said, everything's going up. So how can prices go down? Mm-hmm. I have a lot of people tell me, oh, we're waiting for things to settle or for prices to dip. I do think we're in a unique situation with the market we're in. Um, I don't know how much consumers know on that side of it, uh, up and over. So a house might be listed for 300,000, people are guaranteeing money. They're not so concerned with what it's really worth. It's that supply and demand that's coming into effect. So they're willing to pay more. I do feel like that will settle down, but all that's doing is creating a new average sales price and jumping from the 9% increase to 23, 24% increase. So it'll take a while for that to settle down, but I do not think it's gonna crash. So the first few homes that I bought way back when, I swear I was buying them at the top of each wave. (laughs) I was not the epitome of a good market timer. (laughs) But one of my real estate mentors said, well, Don, though, did you buy it because you needed the home? Well, yeah. He goes, then you did fine. So buy when you're ready, not because you're timing the market. And one of the best ones I ever heard is nobody rings a bell at the top of the market or the bottom of the market. So buy when you're ready. True. Yeah. Um, However, it has been, 2021 was a frenetic year for buying a home. The rewards are great. You know, 3% fixed interest rate for the next 30 years. So in the year 2052, your rate finally goes to zero. Or even two and a half. (laughs) Yeah, right. So at the beginning of... um, for a few months it was yeah right two and a half percent so this is kind of interesting now so in 2019 um 61 percent of the listings sold in the first 30 days at an average uh, of 99 and a half percent of the list price in this past year 2021 it went from 61 percent to 88 (laughs) percent sold in the first 30 days so the market is moving, and the average price was 102.24% of the listing price. So look at that. It. Um, and do you know what else that tells me? No, but I'm curious. It tells me if you are looking for a home, that's how important it is to get pre-approved and start because you have a shorter window of opportunity to get an offer in. People wait too long. They see a house they love. Then they're contacting us, getting their documents together. Maybe it's two or three days later, and guess what? The house already is pending. So it's really important if you're in the market to do your due diligence, get pre-approved so you know all these numbers and are prepared to actually make an offer in that short window that we can see we have now. I completely agree. There's no, you don't have any time now. There's no time. If you're gonna go look at a house, you better be ready because if you do like it, you have to submit the offer right there and then. Otherwise, you can, yeah. if you want to sleep on it, there's no way. Yeah, and, and it's a matter of being ready, willing, and able. Yes. So if you have that pre-approval letter in hand, you've already spoke to the loan officer, you know how your money is gonna go during that, that escrow period, um, you become a, a a prime 
candidate for the seller to choose. So if the seller has multiple offers to choose from, yeah, they're going to go with the um, person who's pre-approved rather than the one who said, oh, yeah, I'll get in there Monday. Right. <laughs> or the one that wants to, especially right now, the way the market is, um, I still have some buyers that would like to ask for closing costs. They want to lowball the offer. And I'm like, you can't do that right now. Unfortunately, if you're really serious about it, you really like the house, make it a strong offer from the beginning. Yeah. In some ways, I like this market, but I only said in some ways, not in all ways. <laughs> it, by the way, 2021 was, after 45 years in this business, it was my best year ever, but hands down, it was the hardest year. I agree with that, though. Yeah. It's true. It, it was hard. Um, but one thing I do like about this is buyers should really go in with their best foot forward. Don't nibble, don't don't negotiate like that. If you're willing to pay two and a half percent over the listing price, do it. Make that your first offer rather than right. say, "Well, let's try, let's try twenty thousand dollars less." Cut out the little dancing game between the offers. Right. How yeah. do, have you seen that? Like, do you even counter at this point when somebody lowballs the offer, or Rarely. do you just say next? <laughs> Rarely. Yeah. See, so there's. Uh, in, in fact, that's a, that's a really good question, Lizette, because most of the counter offers now are not about price; it's about something logistical. Right. By logistical, I mean maybe the seller needs an extra 10 days after close Time of lines, escrow. Extra right. inspections, just right. extra wants and needs. I've been <laughs> seeing that too, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and that's kind of a nice way to do it where you're not going back and forth with the. I remember many years ago, four, five, six counter offers to put one transaction together, and there was no other buyer. There was just one buyer one home you can spend it like a week negotiating with the same person and you still weren't getting anything else so you were still continuing to negotiate like there's none of that now yeah. at all <laughs> yeah i remember back when it was 90 to 100 days on the market for a home it, it was normal but there we just quit quit building enough homes we've become so regulated for the home builders and now their costs are going way up. It, it's hard to build a home that, that's affordable. That's yeah, affordable. And there's they're not they're trying to put them all. They're condensing everything so much. That's mm. the other thing that I've been seeing with these homes. So I think that that's another new trend that's coming up. Maybe the way these homes are being built now. No yards. No, yeah. there's by my house there's a development and there's like a strip these houses are staggered they don't have a yard at all they don't have a backyard there's like one driveway for three or four houses it's almost like an apartment it's so strange i drove by there the other day just to look because it was just so strange the way it's being built but i've noticed that everything is just a lot more condensed because we need that many more homes yeah yeah and it that does help keep the cost affordable because there's less land right yeah and less gas too so that the truck that delivers the lumber to deliver lumber for 10 houses only has to drive one block <laughs> rather than three blocks okay with that bad joke we are going to our next commercial break stay tuned to welcome home radio 940 kyno
talk show with our host Don Scordino. Oh, hey, thank you, Haley. This is almost like having the day off, having all the good help from you. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> all right, so who are our guests today? Maybe somebody who, let's say, just got in their car, they just tuned in, they don't know who our guests are. Who are they? Well, first we have my mom, Lizette Hurtado, and then we have um, Kaylee Wood right here, and they're just talking about you know, real estate. <laughs> and, and lending. And lending. <laughs> All right. So um, what can we expect for interest rates for the year? I, I've heard, uh, oh, I read an article in a paper that said rates are climbing. Is that the right word? Climbing? I would say, I mean, that's shifting. It. Shifting. Moving. Climbing. Inching. You have, to, you have to consider we're zoomed in on a magnifying glass on this graph of just like the stock market. Uh, so all we see is this current trend of the climb. But when you take a step back and see that our hill is a lot smaller for peaks and lows versus these old rates of 10%, 12%. So I don't know if we'll see it too again in the next near future, but I don't think we're going to be tripling or doubling on interest rates. I predict if anything, we'll go to maybe the fours high threes to low fours um we're projected to have three rate increases in this year but they're not going to be major it's mm. not going to be drastic so i think that when it's set that way it sounds like we're going to be in the five six percents again i don't see that i think it's going to still be in the maybe high threes to low fours after the three hikes, I would say. So on a on a rate spread, just kind of a basic breakdown, if you're looking at it like a ruler, every quarter of an inch, or we actually break it down into eighths, will make up one full point. So there's a lot of steps to make up to jump to that next number. And I think people miss that sometimes. If we're at a 3% now and the rates jump, well, did it jump to three point? one two five or did it jump to three and a half how many steps did we skip so mm -hmm. again how zoomed in are we on that graph and how big of a picture are we looking at i liked what you said about we're looking at it through a microscope almost right now because i do remember when the interest rates were in the double digits 10 11 12 percent and it could move a half a percent in one or two days you, now that takes a lot longer correct but um and i don't have any science to back me up or any algorithms to back me up but i'm gonna think we're not gonna take those big drops or jumps like we did before because we are at a much smaller um, state right now three percent compared to twelve percent correct right yeah um that was really that was a hard part of the market way back when. I remember uh, stepping out of my zone one time and I advised a client that, you know, it looks like the, the bonds are doing this and the, uh, the yen's doing that. So I think you should float the market. Don't lock it in because rates are gonna come down. Well, what I didn't know is that the next day we would have uh, the Operation Desert Storm hit and the rates just jumped you know so it's like i didn't know everything <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to predict and it's hard to i mean people look at you and they say well what do you think should i lock now do and i'm just i'm always hesitant to 
absolutely say, oh, do it or don't do it because you just never know. But I will give them the big picture. Well, this is what we're looking at. This is where it's been. This is how it's changed in the last few days. What would you like to do? Yeah. So is that a question that comes up a lot as you're um, interviewing people like, do you want to lock or do you want to float? Yes. All the time. Every day. <laughs> All right. Because and everybody's opinion is different. Yeah. Right. We have to ask the client. I'm not going to just lock a, a loan or a rate without even talking to the client because it's their, money. Just, it's their money. You can't do that. But you also have to be able to explain why you would want to do it now or why you would want to wait. Risk but, first reward. Right. But without mm-hmm. also saying this is what you should do and then risking them coming back and said, you said because that always happens too. Yeah. <laughs> so you said I could get a one percent rate. Exactly. You said this is how it's going to be. Mm. Yeah. But a couple of things to think about if you're facing that uh, lock versus float. I face this one to two times a week because when I'm needing to fill up my gas tank and I'm driving down the road and I see 459, 479. And and then, you know, so I end up at the 459 place. And then had I driven six more blocks, I could have got it for 439. Exactly. Well, you can't beat yourself up over that. Right. <laughs> for a perfect example, because I'm not a gas shopper, I'm a convenience gas pumper. Um, <laughs> I couldn't tell you how much it was because I needed it. Mm-hmm. But in, in uh, retrospect for interest rates, that's how I approach it. If you were to lock today, this is what it was or is, if you were to lock tomorrow, if it moved this much, it's a big if, but at least I could show you. Now they know it's a tangible number. We're talking about $20 a month. Right. You could rest a little easier because in their head, is it gonna jump hundreds of dollars? People just don't know. Mm-hmm. So when you have tangible numbers to sleep on and hold, now you're armed with the information and I can make the best educated guess <laughs> at that point or decision and it is about making the person feel comfortable with their decision. And if you do lay it out that way, okay, we're talking about interest rates. We're talking about an eighth or a quarter jump. They they don't they don't know what we're talking about when it comes to that. If we say it'll be a twenty five dollar difference in your monthly payment, now we're talking. Now they're oh, it's not going to matter. Just lock it or mm-hmm. let's wait till Monday. Or so you just have to make the person feel comfortable in, in what they're understanding. Yeah. And one thing to think about if you're going to float and not lock in, you might qualify today at today's rate. But if you float and you go to lock it in two weeks later and now the rate is up, you may not qualify. But that also comes with the loan officer. They're the ones that are looking at your file. We're the ones that know exactly what's happening. We see what's happening as far as the rates changing and stuff like that. So if I have a client that is borderline and we just cannot jump, I'm going to say, look, we need to lock because there's if we risk it, it might be a problem. That's that risk versus reward. You don't have room to gamble. That's right. like being at a oh. poker table and not having any more chips to make another better double down. I don't get to because I'm not fully equipped to do so. So you're going to play with what you have at a certain point too. You know, Kaylee, you make some good analogies. I'm a visual person, so I have to put it into a tangible thing that somebody can process and understand because that's what makes sense in my brain. And the irony of that visual is good on the radio. (laughs) Think about that one. That's funny. All right. I do want to briefly get into um, buying investment homes. So I take it that interest rates are lower for 
somebody who's going to live in the home as opposed to somebody who is buying as an investment. Why is that? Risk. So it's a risk analysis. All what we're doing is a formula. So there's just layers to it. Um, I tell my clients again, because I'm visual, we're going to look at it like weight. So every risk is a pound and your file gets heavier and heavier. So the heavier it is, the harder it is to push through. The lighter it is, the easier it is to float along. So that's the risk assessment. I love that one. (laughs) (laughs) And in that same scenario is that's why there's stricter requirements, bigger down payments. And they look at a trend, just like you were telling us numbers on Uh, values and percentages they look at what foreclosed in the past and maybe people that didn't live in a home weren't as attached to it so they let it go before they're gonna let their primary people are gonna do what they got to do to keep their primary house an investment property doesn't have as much tangible benefit to a homeowner so it's easier to let a loan go so that's a risk assessment I see now I'm given two examples, owner-occupied and investment, but there's that second home. How would you define a second home as a lender? A second home is a property that is essentially the same as a primary. You're going to have a primary interest rate. You do have a slightly higher down payment requirement than a traditional first home primary. Slightly what? 4% versus 3% down? Uh, no. <laughs> 5 to 10. So on... First time homeowners, we have that zero, three, three and a half, five window, depending on what loan. On a second home, it's gonna start at 10%, but you get the same benefit of a primary rate as you would uh, on your primary home versus an investment, which usually there's about a point spread difference. All right. Um, And the the definition to go back on that is you're gonna occupy it 50% of your time. So that means I'm here Monday through Thursday working. And actually I've seen an influx of them with people working remote now and home. Now I could leave on Thursday, go to my second home in the mountains at the beach away from your primary residence. And it's still yours. Is there a geographical requirement there? Like it has to be more than a hundred miles away? Uh, Actually there's not. And we're in a unique situation here in the central Valley because we're 45 minutes up a mountain or hour and a half to the ocean so there's not like an fha when you buy a second fha or when you're vacating an fha the actual black and white mileage Um, it's more of a does it make sense are you really going to buy a second home in taft when you live in bakersfield probably Mm -hmm. not Uh, so it's that it just has to make sense all right with that we're going to go to our next commercial break but stay tuned to welcome home radio 940 KYNO. If I could just come in, I swear I'll leave. Won't take nothing but a memory from the house that And we're back with my favorite real estate talk show, Welcome Home Radio. Thank you very much, Haley Hurtado. Remember that name. <laughs> because at 13, almost 14, you're not shy at all. You're very confident. Oh, thank you. I could be shy like at first, but once I get to, you know, be comfortable around someone, I could be very outgoing. Well, being shy at first is another way of saying you're humble. And that's a good thing. (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) All right. So let's get back to the two other guests. You're the main one, Haley, but let's get back to the two other guests. (laughs) And um, let's talk about lending. So Pre-approval process, what's involved in that? 
So do you want to start? So usually with the pre-approval, we have to, it's the basic um, documents that we look at to start with, uh, two years tax returns, check stubs for 30 days, bank statements, and driver's license, pretty much. Um, we look at everything, we run credit and verify income, and we'll do the pre-approval as far as how much you're qualified for, depending on what price you wanna pay a month, all that stuff. The biggest thing with the pre-approval is that we have to remind our clients not to go shopping after that make big purchases no cash deposits like all those little things are what can really affect a pre-approval so that is one of the biggest i think issues that we have i know i come across that a lot i know you call it an issue i'm going to call it a nightmare when, <laughs> when you're one week away from closing and next thing you know the buyer on that escrow uh Rode in the, on a new motorcycle. I it had happened. a guy that did that. <laughs> I really did. Or, or the more common one is they went out and bought a refrigerator, washer, and or dryer, furniture. and took advantage of the ten percent discount if they open up a new credit card. It, so why does that affect? So every time we do the pre-approval, in the beginning we run credit. Right at the end, once we're going through the funding process, they do everything right before we fund. They have to make sure that this person did not get new debt. That's now gonna not. That's gonna now make them not qualify. It goes we back have to, to that include magic it into. word DTI. Yes, we have to include everything that's reported on the credit report. Only so. in today's world would DTI be a word. <laughs> <laughs> it's but a huge word, it's actually. It's <laughs> <Yeah>. huge. <laughs> Along with FICO. See, lenders, you all want to talk just in acronyms. acronyms. <laughs> FICO, HUD, uh, Fannie Mae. It saves Mae. us time, Don. Like, we just, like, talk faster because it saves us time. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, and I know what you mean because, for example, here on this radio show, I could be talking about FAR and NAR and CAR, but who's going to know? So right. I take the extra time and say the California Association of Realtors. <laughs> yes. So, okay. We're just conditioned that way. So we have to kind of remember that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, okay. So it could affect your DTI, uh, debt to income ratio could throw you over the edge. Yeah. If you're already at that ceiling for the example we gave earlier, 45%, and you're going to add a $200 motorcycle payment now you qualify for $200 less a month of a mortgage. So that doesn't pertain to everybody, but some people are really stretched to their limits and it really will kick them out of qualifying. Mm -hmm. And that equates to about $40,000 in home. Every roughly 25 to $30 a month is about $5,000 on a purchase price. Mm -hmm. All right, and the key word is when I said about, so that was approximately <laughs> $40,000. <000. laughs> So, um, but it makes a point. Yes. All right. So, um, okay, so don't go out and, and do new purchases until after you get the phone call that says, congratulations, it recorded, it's now your home, you got the keys. Now I always say after you have your keys. Okay. Not even when you get the phone call. <laughs> yeah. Wait until you have your keys. <laughs> All right. Um, how hard is it in the process? I remember taking a guy in to get pre-qualified one time, and the poor guy was sweating. I mean, he was <laughs> so nervous. And I said, hey, Ray, come on, it's, this isn't going to be that hard. Afterwards, he told me, he goes, man, you were right. It wasn't that hard at all. But 
he was sure nervous. The process is not hard. I don't think the process is hard. I think if you can um, set the tone for your clients right from the beginning and, and let them know what we're going to expect and what we're going to need and how the process will go. I always tell my clients, you're probably going to be annoyed by me at the end because that's when it's crunch time and we need little things. And as they're reviewing the file, then I get a list and I have to tell you. And sometimes we are at funding and we need it within the hour, things like that. But if you kind of explain all that from the beginning, it just becomes a lot easier. There are a lot of people that are probably like me and overthink everything. And it's a little bit harder. You have to kind of walk them through it a little bit more. But I wouldn't say the process is hard. What do you think? I wouldn't say it's hard. And I like to just tell them why we're getting it. It makes it easier when we're making our request. So yes, I need every single check stub you have until you have your keys. But this is why changes happen. If I'm using 40 hours a week, you give me a check stub that's not 40 hours a week, I'm no longer using 40 hours a week. So it's a give and take, but it's a partnership through the process. And as long as our clients know why we're getting things, I think it's easier for them to understand and comply and get them to us as quick as possible. And I think it's important for people to understand who you are as the loan officer. You are not the one that's going to say yes or no. You're, You're not the underwriter or the loan committee. You are actually the architect of that file that you're trying to help the borrower put together so that they can convince the Wizard of Oz back in Kansas, right? also known as the uh, underwriter, <laughs> <laughs> that, that has all the power to say yes or no. So you're actually on the side. We are a team home buyer, believe me. That's what we wanna do is get them the home. So that's why it's really important to just bring it all, put it out, out on the line, don't not tell us you have a rental couch because I'm going to see it on your bank statement and then we got to work backwards. So it's just really important to be um, fully transparent and open with your loan officer. You'd be surprised how many people think that they can get away with hiding things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then when we call them out on it or we ask, hey, I saw this. What is this about? Oh, you saw that? How, how, How did you see that? Why did you know? You're buying a $400,000 home. We have to look into everything. Yeah. <laughs> so Because you're asking the lender to put up 95% of the money that you want to, for to a borrow. home that you want to live in. Exactly. Yeah. That's why the lender has to know everything. If I was loaning that money myself to you, I'd sure want to know a few things. Right. But I think it's really important that people understand the loan officer is the architect of your file. Um, We're painting the picture. Yeah, right. And you got to make it a good picture so that the underwriter buys it. And then now there's that thing about QM, qualified mortgages, which takes takes it to a new level as far as qualifying. Uh, but the benefit is lower interest rates. Right. So if you have a non-qualifying mortgage, a non-QM, interest rates are going to be how much higher about? Usually triple. I was going to say like 12 or 15 at that point, probably. Yeah, I think a lot of my investors are hard money or lines of credit they're using before we convert them into a permanent structured loan is going to be closer to a 9 or 10, 12 versus our threes. I've okay. seen 12 and 13. Yeah. So if you want a 3% mortgage, you got to do the dance. Yep. You gotta, <laughs> if they ask for your third grade report card, bring it in. <laughs> and and it's usually not anything that's unusual. It's not things that are unusual or hard to get. 
It's mm. just sometimes it can be intrusive or they feel like it can be intrusive. I understand that. But we're looking at all of your paperwork. We have to ask questions. Yeah. So. And once again, please understand, you're asking a lender to give you 95% of the money for you to buy a home. So And just say, trust me, it's fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. So why don't you give me your best real estate advice? Let me start off with the illustrative person, Kaylee Wood. Uh, my best tip would be don't be scared to start. I would say over 50%, I deal a lot with first-time home buyers, their biggest hesitation is not wanting to pull credit or hiding from it or thinking it's worse than it is. I don't care if you come into my office with no papers and just want to talk or maybe run credit or look at it. My biggest tip is just literally taking that first step. You don't know without looking at it. Right. And maybe somebody doesn't qualify for that $400,000 loan, but guess what? They qualify for three hundred and fifty. Or with ABC task, you do qualify. Right. Yeah. So maybe two or three more months, they will qualify. For yeah. It. We always say, let's build the path to your home. You're not going to just drop from a parachute and land on the home. We're going to take the steps to get there. So that's how it works. All right. And how about you, Lizette? What's your best real estate advice? I'm actually going to piggyback on that because I think that is one of the biggest things we do come across that a lot people don't think they're ready and they actually are or it's just a matter of doing a couple little things but i would add um to that is to just say everything from the beginning just put it all out, out on the table and let us figure out what we have to do and how we have to do it in order to help you because mm -hmm. most of the time people avoid saying certain things because they don't think it matters or because they just don't want to talk about it but it changes everything and sometimes it's not even a big deal we can just do it in a different way it's just the way we have to present it so mm -hmm. just don't keep anything to yourself and just say from the very beginning this is my situation this is where i'm at this is what i have and then we'll figure it out all right and i know haley's best real estate advice listen to welcome home radio every saturday <laughs> morning from 9 to 10 on 9:40 kyno yes all right. I'm glad. <laughs> I See, I knew what you were thinking. So, <laughs> hey, and you got a new hat out of this whole deal, huh? Yes, I think it's really cool. All right. It's a welcome She's home radio. She's go show it off. <laughs> well, thank you very much for tuning in uh, every Saturday to Welcome Home Radio. This is year, we're starting year 14. and uh, Congratulations. Hey, yeah, thanks. Uh, all right. We'll be back again next week, so stay tuned. Thank you.